dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. While seeing how leaders fail is never pleasant, it can also be very instructive. The rise and the fall of King Saul in the Bible presents us a good example of a life gone awry in authority. His jealousy over David is the most well-known symptom, but the cause of his downfall is rooted in something much deeper. Not only character flaws, but a stubborn pride that keeps him from accepting God's will. Here's part three of my series on King Saul. Well, everybody, I'm just so happy to be with you. I don't know how happy you are to be with me, though, when we're studying the life of King Saul. I mean, because his life in many ways is depressing. We have to just admit this. We are here at the St. John Institute to learn how to be Christ-centered leaders, how to, how to set the world on fire for God. And here we are studying what I call an anti-leader. But I think it's really important because honestly, you can learn more sometimes by looking at the downfall or the negative side of the fence of from what you want to be and what you want to achieve than you can by simply persevering and doing the normal things. It gives clarity to see the contrast. And the life of King Saul gives us that contrast in full color. Let me just tell you what, because when you compare King Saul to Samuel the prophet, and Jonathan and David, the four main characters here in 1 Samuel 9 to 31, you see such a different approach to leadership. And each one of them, in a way, typifies a type of the leader. For example, you've got Samuel, who is the religious leader and kind of the father figure of the whole area. Everybody holds Samuel in such high esteem. He is absolutely the authority when it comes to the relationship that these leaders have with God. He represents the voice of God. God tells Samuel to go and anoint David as he told Samuel to go and anoint Saul. And when Saul's spirit is taken away, the spirit of God is taken away from Saul, he sends, God sends Samuel to go and tell that to Saul. David, on the other hand, is probably 15 years old and is on the rise. His destiny is unknown, but the hand of the Lord is upon him and everything that he does prospers. He's advancing. He is the picture of the successful leader. Jonathan, on the other hand, represents the humble servant of God who recognizes God's authority and st strips himself of his own claim to the kingship, giving David his sword, his armor, and his position as the crown prince, so to speak, the next heir apparent of the throne. Jonathan is at this point 27 years older than David. David's about 15 years old when he kills Goliath. Jonathan would be about 42, and yet he becomes David's friend. 
about the same way that St. Paul was befriended by St. Barnabas. St. Barnabas being a much older man who is then surpassed or eclipsed by Paul in the same way Jonathan is eclipsed by David, and yet David would not be David without Jonathan. Jonathan protects David. Jonathan gives David his authority, and Jonathan actually paves the way for God's will to be done in David's life. Whereas Saul, ah, his life represents for us the corruption that can happen to every well-intentioned person if they're not careful when they have authority. It's just like Thomas Jefferson said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. If God wrote down the corruption of King Saul and showed us how his life actually unwound, right, into kind of a miserable mess at the end, even going to his death, finally, because of his own pride, it's so that we can learn from it. And let's learn from it, therefore, right? Let's open our Bibles and, and study. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 16 to chapters 23. Let's go ahead and begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear God, as we study the life of King Saul, we ask you to open your word to us, to breathe into our hearts the truth about who we are and what you're calling us to do, to help us to dare great things for you with absolute humility. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so let's, let's put ourselves in the right context, remembering what we've already gone over. Uh, that King Saul was anointed by Samuel to be the first king of Israel. This is because the people in 1 Samuel 8 begged God to give them a king so that they could be like other people. And then God shows Samuel to anoint Saul. So he does. Now, who is Saul? Saul is of very humble origins. Uh, he's actually taking care of his father's goats and trying to find them that they'd run away when he runs into Samuel the prophet. And Samuel anoints him on the spot because God tells him to. And now Saul finds himself to be king. So this is important because Samuel will remind Saul at key points that Saul was nothing in the eyes of other people. And even he says, you were nothing in your own eyes which means that Saul probably has a deep character flaw here of low self-esteem and low self-image. And because of that, you're going to see that that's actually going to break open and be part of his downfall as he goes through his life. You can't rule if you constantly are calling yourself into question in a very negative way. Eventually, you're going to try to protect your self-esteem. You're going to try to protect your self-image. And that protection can be the, the type of quibbling with God and even rebellion that typify the downfall of King Saul. You have to find peace with yourself if you're going to work for the peace of your organization. People who don't lead well oftentimes look inside. And when you, what you'll see there are people who aren't at peace with who they are. This is exactly what happens to Saul. And so Saul gets now put into this place of authority, but he, is a, he has of no you know, consequence only because God wanted him to be there. This is what's so important. Saul is not made king because he's a terrific person. He's made king because God wanted him to serve him by his authority. By being a king, by being a ruler, God wanted Saul to be made a saint. And so he left Saul with his character flaws because his character flaws weren't the problem. The problem is the pride that would install itself there in those fault lines in Saul's character and make Saul a rebel. 
And I think this is really important. It's not a problem that you have faults. It's not a problem that you're not perfect, okay? It, the problem is when you take that imperfection and you make it an excuse to combat against God. When you resist the Holy Spirit and resist God's call in your life to be the great person you really could be if only you accepted your character flaws. This is a really important moment, right? This is what St. Paul has to deal with in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He describes it as a thorn in his flesh that he's asked God to remove from him three times. And God refuses to remove the thorn from Paul's flesh, saying it is in your weakness that my strength is glorified. My grace is enough for you, St. Paul. And so St. Paul has to accept that he'll never be perfect in his own eyes or in the eyes of other people that is going to be left with profound flaws and that God intends those flaws to humble him so as to keep St. Paul turned towards God as his salvation and his strength. If King Saul would have done the same, we would be reading a whole different story. If King Saul would have said, I am here as a leader because God put me here I am here to serve God at his behest and at his good pleasure, then he would never have gone corrupt. And it's the same with us. Don't cling so much to your status or to your power or to the, the, the gifts that God has given you that in the end you think that it's because of those gifts and those power that you deserve to stay in authority. Authority comes from above. This is what Jesus tells Pontius Pilate. No one would have authority over me unless it was not given to him by God. God gives the authority. But when you don't receive it as his humble servant and work on it at his good pleasure, well, you can corrupt it by turning it instead of God's gift to humanity into a rebellion against God. And we're going to see that that not only destroys the community and the kingdom, but it destroys Saul himself. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. All right, let's take a look together at the cause of Saul's jealousy against David. This is uh, in 1 Samuel 18. We remember what happens. David kills Goliath. They come back after the war and the women all come out singing that Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul was angry and from that time on he eyed David, right? Because he realizes that David is growing in power. And remember that Saul knew that God had taken the kingdom away from him and the kingship away from him, and, but he didn't know to whom he had given it. We know this because this is a really indicative scene. If you look at a couple chapters back in 1 Samuel 15, there's a fight between the prophet Samuel and King Saul. And this is a really important passage for understanding just how bad King Saul really was in his anger and in his violence, that he would even have a, a confrontation with the holy man Samuel. It's in verse 23 where Samuel tells him straight eye to eye, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. Please pardon my sin. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. 
So in other words, Saul tries to manipulate the situation when Samuel tells him he's no longer king, tries to cling to him, tries to make Samuel say that in fact he stays king and Samuel refuses. I mean, but how pathetic is this that Saul is trying to manipulate a decree from God himself? It's not going to be the first time. This is only chapter 15. He's going to continue to rebel against God's will. He's going to continue to act like somehow or other he can manipulate God <laughs> throughout the story of his life. And I kind of chuckle because this is ridiculous to think you can manipulate God. And look at Samuel being so upright. And instead of saying, yes, well, you are the king and I'm just your subject, he stands for principle. It's so beautiful to see how the authority that a human authority, even the authority of the state, doesn't have authority by itself. It, it derives from its, its consonance with the truth that comes from God and the truth that's found in God's creation. There's a limit, in other words, even to the authority of the state. The authority of the state isn't just made up or possessed because it exists. It actually can be lost when it's no longer in accordance with what God has done in his world. And Samuel stands as a witness to God, even to the king of Israel. And he says, I will not return with you for you have rejected the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. That is the truth, Saul. You need to accept that and just repent and be humble and go to heaven and be with God. But instead, as Samuel turned to go away, verse 27, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. That's amazing. So Samuel, in other words, is walking away, turns his back on him, and Saul grabs his, his robe with such vehemence that he rips his garment. He rips his robe. This is really, this is a moment of violence here. And so Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it over to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And then Samuel goes on to defend God and remind Saul about who it is who's really in charge of Israel. Verse 29, he says, The glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. In other words, don't try to manipulate God. Oh, if only Saul had listened to that warning. I think here you really see an insistence by Samuel that we can all take deep into our own hearts. Saul's downfall comes because of a total lack of humility with respect to God. He simply doesn't respect who God is. He doesn't acknowledge the supremacy of God over his life. He acts like he himself is God and that therefore he gets to call the shots. And that's very tempting for us. We live in a culture today that, that tends to let people do that. We get to define what we think gender is. We get to define what we think the role of people are. We get to define how much money we think we get to make. We were given a type of freedom that seems to be without bound. And, and because, therefore, we get really upset when it appears that somehow God enters into the picture and he says no. There's a lot of people I know who leave, even leave the church, stop practicing the faith because they simply won't accept that God would have the right to tell them that they can't do what they want to do. Well, you can, you can live that way. Here's a story of a life of a man who in fact tried to live that way, King Saul. And you know what ended up with him? He ends up to be a failed leader and a terrible person who wreaks devastation on his kingdom. 
And the reason for this is really quite simple. We are not designed by God to be the absolute authority in our life. Human beings are designed by God to serve him and therefore to humbly accept whatever tasks he gives us and to do them to the best of our ability. To go against that actually undermines who we are. And once our identity is undermined, we no longer are able to exercise authority appropriately. This is a, you have to be humble if you're going to be in charge. It's as simple as that. It doesn't mean that you can't be confident. It doesn't mean that you can't be audacious. It just means that true confidence and true audacity have to be rooted in something bigger than you. You'll never be more audacious. You'll never be more confident than when you're serving the living God. But when you take away the God from the picture and you make yourself a, a God, actually your confidence will be undermined by your own flaws and your own faults and you'll hide them and even to the point of getting jealous of other people in order to protect them. And your audacity will be only as big as your human ambitions, which is actually far less than the audacity of the saints. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. So if we start to examine the life of King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 16 to 23, 16 to 31, we're going to see that he has a whole list of just really bad character flaws. He is angry to the point of even violence. Like for example, after he fights with Samuel in 1 Samuel 15, he refuses to talk to Samuel and doesn't talk to him for 11 years. Okay, his jealousy against David, for example, which begins when David's 15, lasts for 15 years. 15 years, this man is, when he gets a grudge, he simply does not let it go. Even to the point of violence, we saw he tears the robe of Samuel, um, you know, when Samuel's trying to walk away from him. Um, it, his sin, by what Samuel says his sin is, is twofold. He says, number one, you are rebellious, and number two, you are insubordinate. Right? Beautiful uh, analysis, the rebellious and insubordinate heart. The fact is, God gave you authority, uh, Saul, because he wanted to. And yet you have snubbed the one who's given you that authority, refused to serve him, and claimed that authority for yourself. And by so doing, you make yourself no longer an authority. I'm going to take the, the kingship from you, says God. I'm going to give it to David. And it's because you refuse to be poor in your service. Now, it's amazing because when you take someone like David, on the other hand, you look at how he's rising. David is completely poor in his service. He's just the son of Jesse who's out there at this point. Now, David has his own corruption that comes. But at the same time, at this point in the story, David is the one who is a king after God's own heart. And he receives the kingship from God and humbly continues to pour himself out as God's servant, and he does nothing but rise. The more Saul clings to his power, the more the power escapes him. And the more that King David humbles himself and lets God do what God wants, the greater a king he actually becomes. But Saul's not only this, Saul's also manipulative. We saw him try to manipulate Samuel, and he's narcissistic. He only cares about himself. 
An example of this is that David comes and plays the lyre for Saul from the time he was anointed king for seven years or so before he finally slays Goliath. And in that period of time, Saul never asks him his name, where he's from, doesn't even know his household. So that when David is finally brought to him at the moment of Goliath in chapter 17, Saul doesn't even know who he is. And yet he says earlier that Saul loved David. Yeah, he loved David, but he didn't even know who he was. He was so enthralled with himself that he didn't even have time to understand the people who were near him. He's self-absorbed. And do we see that anywhere better than how he treats his own daughters? Remember he says, if anyone kills Goliath, because of course I'm afraid to do so, I'm going to give you my daughter in marriage. David kills Goliath and he doesn't give his daughter in marriage. The manipulation here is just amazing. He never gives Michael to, to David until after he first tries to get his other daughter to marry David, yanks the daughter away from David the, at the time of the wedding, and then gives his second daughter to David saying, I hope that she'll be a trap to him. Hope she'll be. The first daughter he has to win by killing 200 Philistines. So the same, Saul say, says to himself, maybe he'll die in the battle. David doesn't die in the battle, of course, because he's David. So he actually kills 200 Philistines and wins. And then Saul simply changes his mind, gives him Michael, his daughter, in marriage. And Michael, unfortunately, has a bad side to her in that she is an idolatress. She actually has a life-size idol. A life-size idol. I mean, this, this is no small little devotion in her house. We see that because when she lets David escape from King Saul as David's fleeing from him, she takes that idol and she puts it in the bed as the body of David. It's kind of a wonderful little callback to Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? Where you've got this body laying in the bed and it looks like David, but actually it's not. And it's because it's her idol. I mean, that means that David's got to marry this woman who's actually worshiping false gods. And, and what an amazing thing that he does, number one. But number two, why does Saul do that? Because he thinks maybe he can turn David's heart from the living God by giving him his own daughter. I mean, this, the carelessness and the callousness of this man seems to have no end, right? But it even gets worse when he tries to kill his own son, who is the crown prince who's going to take over for him because Jonathan protects David. At one point, Jonathan, it says, David says, your dad's trying to kill me. Jonathan says, no, he's not. And then he says, look, I'll, I'll inquire. When he inquires, Saul says, you've protected David. And so now I'm going, to, he thrusts a spear into the wall twice to kill David and a third time to try to kill his own son, Jonathan. I mean, the, can you imagine just what a terror this man must have been and just how deep goes his wounds? Well, it's no deeper than the wounds in any one of us. All of us recognize that we, in fact, could be just like King Saul. His downfall is not because of his brokenness. His downfall is because he refuses to repent. He refuses to allow God to be God. He wants, into, in other words, to manipulate the situation, thinking he can stay as a king if only he kills David. Let's think about how silly that is. Almost like as if he can contravene God's plan himself. And yet our pride can take us that far. Our pride could actually make us think that we could do what we want if only we can get around God. <laughs> do you see the folly of this? <laughs> Am I the only one who sees how crazy this is? Guys, you cannot get around God. 
Right? It's much better to say, I have sinned, I repent, I humble myself, and therefore I can be forgiven by God and continue in peace. Humility has a way of healing the deep wounds that are in us unlike anything else. It is a powerful antidote against even our flaws. When you see your character flaws, you see your faults, and they can be very grave sometimes. Your fits of anger, your inability to communicate, your, your controlling, your desire to control absolutely everything. It can sometimes cause you to despair. You can say, I'm no good. Unless you learn to look at yourself at the eyes of God's mercy. Why is it that God allows you to have this flaw? I mean, he made you a father. And yet there you are saying, like, I can't connect with my kids. I'm, you know, I'm very selfish person deep down inside. And then you'd say, therefore, God should never have made me a father. And I kind of laugh about that. I'm like, no, that's why he made you a father was so that by seeing what's the weakness within you, and maybe it's a weakness that you can never really overcome effectively, you can humble yourself to draw nearer and nearer to him. We need to accept that God is our savior from ourselves. And when we do that, and I draw nearer and nearer to him, God does his work through me in a more and a more marvelous fashion. So humility in the, in the presence of deep character flaws actually allows God to use us even more powerfully as his instrument. This was shown time and time again in history. God allows you, in other words, to not be perfect so that he can be perfect through you. And what we have to do is humbly allow ourselves to be loved, to be loved by God as we are, even if we're broken. Do you know that you're loved by God, even as you are, even in your brokenness? It doesn't mean your brokenness is okay. It doesn't mean that it's a good thing. But do you know that you are loved anyway? Do you know that God likes you? <laughs> that God's on your side? Well, if you do, then you really recognize that everything you do is a service from him. And if God wants to give that service to someone else, it's okay. Because the service is not as deep as the love. Saul, deep down inside, has, doesn't accept the love that God has for him. He thinks that if he's not a king, he is nothing. And he clings to that power, wreaking devastation in his family, giving his daughters away, not parenting correctly, trying to kill his own son, being violent and manipulative, and in the end, a terrible sign of a leader. And it's all because deep down inside, he thinks that his leadership is everything. My friends, your leadership is not everything. The love of God for you, that's everything. The relationship you have with God, that's what counts more than anything else. And he is, you can rise or you could fall as an earthly leader, but the love of God for you is constant. And if you humble yourself, you'll never leave that victory that comes from that love. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.